Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's November 23rd and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. Austin, you getting ready for Turkey Day tomorrow? Oh man, I cannot wait. And uh, wow, what a lead up it has been over the course of the past week. Uh, wild times in the crypto space. Matt, I, I want you to just imagine you've lost all of your net worth. It's I don't need to imagine that, Austin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm and living now, that, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Here you sit over there in London and you're like, you know what? I'm going to dial into that FTX bankruptcy hearing call. And you're sitting there and all of a sudden a jingle starts to play. What is that? Is that Justin Bieber's sorry that FTX is playing on their bankruptcy hearing call? <laughs> Literally, we have seen reports that that was what went down. I can't believe it. Does it get any weirder? <laughs> yeah. And do you know the worst thing, Austin, is it It will get weirder. It, it, this, <laughs> this space never ceases to amaze me at how bizarre some of the developments are. And speaking of developments, you know, we've got a lot to dig in today. What we want to do for all of you celebrating uh, Thanksgiving, for any of you that aren't, we're going to kind of have a bit of a, a deep dive discussion into a bit around like the state of the, the market to begin with and break down kind of our thoughts and thinking around some of the biggest contributing factors. Of course, FTX is going to feature in that, but we've already done a bit of a deep dive into FTX. We're not going to dwell on that too much. But then some of the other, I guess, moving parts and where we think this is kind of going from, from here. So <clears throat> there's a lot to dig into. Let's jump straight in. Let's begin things with a look at the state of the market. So we're in probably what we could call the grisliest of bears right now. And I think when we look at Bitcoin and ETH, along with ultimately the rest of the market, they're testing new lows for, for this year. There's obviously a few factors at play. So we're going to run through them, discuss what the coming weeks and months may have in store. And I want to call one one thing out, we've just in the past few days hit a pretty significant milestone where over 50%, 51% to be precise, of all BTC, so all Bitcoins held in wallets are now out of the money, which means they're currently held at a loss on their purchase price. So the majority of Bitcoins that are held within wallets are currently observing like unrealized losses. So they're in the red. Only 45% of Bitcoins in wallets right now are in the money. That's unrealized gains on them, right? With the remaining roughly 4% at around about break even. This was some <clears throat> great analysis done by Into the Block um, that you can check out in more detail. But what I thought was interesting when you dig into this data is we haven't actually hit this point since uh, the March 2020 kind of COVID-induced mega crash that we had across pretty much every asset class that existed. And prior to that, 
the largest percentage of out-of-the-money addresses was in January 2019, when Bitcoin bottomed out at around 3,200. And I think we were publishing, um, I seem to remember we were publishing a podcast episode that was kind of titled, it was, it's, it's a bloodbath out there or something similar. <laughs> so, you know, <clears throat> I, I remember that one well. But what was interesting around Janu- January 2019 was that from that 3,200, just three months later, Bitcoin actually went off on a tear and set off um, a bit of a bull run. Now, I do not expect to see this happening now. Very, very different kind of conditions. And if we actually look at what I'd probably say has been like the max pain moment of the 2015 bear market, it saw this percentage reach as high as 62%. So 62% of all BTC held at like the max pain moment of the 2015 bear market was out of the money, was in the red. And that's pretty much outside of like 2011, but I don't think it's even fair to start comparing that kind of time period to now. It's probably not even fair to compare the the 2015 period, to be honest. Um, That's about as bad as it's got. Now, let's um, let's have a little look back at, at, at where we're at. So one of the big contributors to the recent decline in ETH in particular, is coming from the FTX situation. On, on one on one part of this, you've got, okay, there's just been this huge collapse of an exchange, confidence is really low, and actually just like the fallout from it, it's been pretty crazy. But this isn't just fear from the collapse of a major exchange. It's actually much more specific why we're seeing these big drops in ETH over the past um, three to four days. This is to do with the funds that were stolen in the FTX wallet hack. And just as a reminder, we touched on this, I think, in the last last week's episode or maybe the, the, the FTX deep dive we did a couple weeks back. But in the days following the FTX um, kind of meltdown, a significant volume of assets were drained from the FTX wallet and moved into an unidentified wallet. And no, despite what many have said, this this wasn't the Bahamanian government behind this hack. Uh, the the total value of the assets, I'd say quote unquote, stolen. Um, it seems like many people believe this was an inside job due to them exploiting a a purpose built backdoor, but. I'm not even going to spend time <clears throat> kind of pontificating around what uh, what the actual reasoning behind and who's behind it, because it's kind of immaterial for what I'm going to talk about. But then the value of those assets was in the region of, at the time, around $450 million. And the, uh, the individual or individuals that uh, own that wallet, they began dumping tons of the assets and converting it all into ETH. ETH was already a pretty significant portion of that wallet. And at the point where they'd converted all of those assets and the existing ETH, there was around 225,000 ETH in that wallet. Now, just to to recap, I didn't say $225,000. I said 225,000 ETH, which would put that wallet in the position of being the 35th largest single wallet holder of ETH of any wallet. It's enormous. There's a huge amount of ETH there. And this is where things start to get bad. The wallet owner 
began selling large quantities of ETH on the open market, starting with a sell of 25,000 ETH, which was around about 30 million, which actually moved the price of ETH around minus 3% for the day. And I know there's, there's, there's a lot of discussion, especially on Twitter around this, and people kind of saying, well, when you look at the total market cap of ETH, like this isn't actually that much ETH in the grand scheme of things. ETH will be able to absorb it. This isn't the point. This is about daily trading volume. This accounts for like $30 million of trading, a significant amount of daily uh, ETH being traded. And when you also kind of factor in the way in which it's being sold in huge chunks, suffering massive slippage uh, at the time, and it's, it's impacting ETH price, and then comes kind of game theory around that, people getting panicked um, and also disposing of their ETH in anticipation of more of this happening. You know, the, the, the cycle goes on. We've seen this time and time again. Now, <clears throat> it does look as though a lot more pain is to come here. As, as I mentioned, right, a, that was a big sell, 25,000 ETH. They have another 200,000 ETH loaded up and they've been moving it out into, I think, 12 different wallets. You can actually check them out on uh, Etherscan. But they've been kind of loading them up and getting them ready to to sell and dump on the market. Um, By and large, they've been swapping ETH for REN BTC and then converting that REN BTC. REN BTC is an ERC... 20 kind of wrapper version of, of Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> and then they're converting that to actual Bitcoin and holding in a variety of, of, of Bitcoin wallets. My takeaway here is expect more sell pressure to come. They've got around $220 million worth, 200,000 ETH in their armory. And this isn't going to come all at once because, I mean, just simply for the fact of having enough like liquidity to, to trade this across the various pools that they're trading. Um, but they're also largely being done on decentralized exchanges. They're actually using one inch, the uh, liquidity aggregator, to, to be precise. So what I expect from all of this is a pretty bumpy few weeks. We actually seen the end of yesterday and today, this kind of slight bounce in the market. Um, I, 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 there's just been a lot of various like market activity happening at the moment. But the moment these funds start to be sold, ETH price will be impacted. And if they continue to do this, we will see this bleed across the, the rest of the market. So that's one big piece in all of this. Now we also have the other big elephant in the room, which is Genesis. <laughs> Oh yes, Genesis. You know, on this piece with the the FTX wallet hack, I I have to say this is kind of looking like that situation that we feared could potentially come to light when we were talking about this last week where, you know, it's obvious that the hacker is not going to be able to withdraw these funds mm-hmm. in, in any real way, but that the funds could be used to manipulate markets. Now, any way that you would manipulate markets with two hundred over 200,000 ETH, of course, it's not going to yield the same amount of profit that the ETH itself would be worth. But we've seen attacks and manipulations like this many times over in the past. Last week, we mentioned Avi Eisenberg. Of course, more has happened with Avi recently. <laughs> uh, you may have heard about 
but um, just using the the ETH to manipulate the ETH price and take profit from short positions, for example, mm-hmm. uh, could be one of many avenues that this wallet holder would use to uh, draw on some form of funds that wouldn't be under such clear scrutiny and wouldn't be easily tracked like this wallet is is being tracked. So yeah, I think that the writing is kind of on the wall. It does look like that's what the wallet holder is doing and is planning on continuing to do so certain turbulence ahead for ETH Uh, and of course we know that there are other factors at play coming up for Bitcoin as well I you probably heard about how the U.S. government is is now the largest holder of Bitcoin and there's going to be sell-off events most likely as a result of that because of confiscations that happened and all of this stuff so I think that we have market manipulations and and uh, distortions on the way but good times good times yes yeah i know wild um yeah genesis what a weird elephant in the room um we have been discussing it for some time but now uh there has been some some movement some news has come to light and the big question that's going around is will they or won't they file for bankruptcy now if you're not familiar with genesis they are the biggest prime broker in crypto They started as the first over-the-counter Bitcoin desk in 2013. They've had tens of billions in loans since their inception. And prime brokers, they they deal with sophisticated institutions like hedge funds, governments, family offices, the list goes on. And Genesis in particular is part of DCG, which is Barry Silbert's holding company that owns Coindesk, Foundry, Genesis, of course, Grayscale, and Luno. And they also run a huge VC firm. And these mm-hmm. are some huge numbers that we're talking about here. If you look at, at really at the height of the market, what they were doing in Q4 2021, they had $50 billion in loan originations in Q4 2021 alone, uh, wow. $12.5 billion in active loans, $31 billion in spot volume traded, and $21 billion in derivatives. Traded. It's a huge, huge amount, a single quarter. I, I, I think those numbers for me, are just just simply from Digital Currency Group, uh, exemplify the absolute insanity that was happening in Q4 of 2021 yeah. as a whole. Yeah, it's so true. So big player here. But what's interesting is if you fast forward to Q3 of 2022, their numbers look a little different. billion in loan originations, $2.8 billion in active loans, $18.7 billion in spot volume traded, and $9.6 billion in derivatives traded. So Mm. went from $50 billion in loan originations in Q4 21 to eight, roughly a little under $8.5 billion in loan originations in Q3 22. So a huge deceleration. So we'll come back to that. How does Genesis work? That's really what matters here to help you to understand why there is such systemic risk at play if Genesis were to go bankrupt. So the way it works is users lend their crypto to a a centralized exchange program um, or platform like an earn program. The platform then gives their crypto to Genesis. Genesis then lends their crypto out for X plus 2%. 
Genesis gives the platform back X plus 1%, and then the platform gives users X percent, whatever their their yield is. So you I think can one see- of the, One of the platforms that if, if anyone had come into contact with this on the just the retail side, probably Gemini platform, the Winklevoss uh, twins, they, they yep. were utilizing Genesis through their Gen, uh, Gemini Earn. It's also very con- confusing that it's Gemini and Genesis. Uh, if they could change their <laughs> names, that'd be great for this. But yeah. Yeah, so you can see that even though on the front end, you may have been working through CFI or a centralized exchange platform and earn program with its own brand like Gemini, there is a connection on the back end to Genesis. And that's where a lot of the yield is coming from throughout the industry. This only works though, if the counterparties that Genesis lent to can actually repay their borrow. If Genesis can't get their crypto back, they can't give the crypto back to Gemini, for example, or really any other crypto CeFi platform, which means Gemini can't give you your crypto. <laughs> so what could go wrong, Matt? <laughs> yeah, sounds foolproof to me. That is watertight. Sign me up. <laughs> So you can imagine in cases of over leverage, maybe terrible lending standards, like unsecured loans to Alameda research. Don't know of anyone doing that. Don't know of yeah. anything like that happening. <laughs> um, also, what about hedge funds like 3AC trying to arbitrage GBTC or BTC? All of these things create issues for Gemini. In fact, or Genesis, rather. Yeah, Matt. What, how, what, what how, did I say about those uh, yes, confusing names? Literally. <laughs> um, there is, there's a fantastic chart that was put together uh, by Alpha Ketchum, I, I want to say, is the Twitter like Pokemon type. Yeah. Fun, I guess, somewhere. Oh, my God. I've just opened this up. This, is, this makes my brain hurt. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's a daisy chain of crypto leverage from November of 2022. And it's a it's a huge it's like one of those um, like uh, CSI, uh, <laughs> you know, like, oh, the, there's there's this guy at the top of the mafia. And then there's like all of these sort yeah. of like red, you know, strings tied all across the board and across the room to like all of their accomplices and the businesses that they were involved in. And it's all one big conspiracy. That's like literally what it looks like for um, <clears throat> how Genesis was operating. I mean, they have just ties to every corner of the industry. And it doesn't look good when you consider the fact that they look like they're going to be filing for bankruptcy here. So if you're interested in in seeing like what the relationship of Genesis is to other entities, including the SEC uh, throughout the industry, um, you can go ahead and, and look for the daisy chain of crypto leverage that was put together by Alpha Ketchum. And it helps you to understand the implications at, at play here. But one thing really important to that point around what could go wrong regarding over leverage, terrible lending standards, hedge funds trying to arbitrage. Genesis was the biggest creditor to Three Arrows Capital, and they lent them $2.4 billion. After that collapse, they filed a $1.2 billion claim against 3AC. 
and DCG, the parent company, stepped in and assumed the $1.2 billion claim, leaving Genesis with no outstanding liabilities tied to 3AC. But of course, the claim is still there. Genesis also had large exposure to Babel Finance, which is the CeFi platform that got hit hard in June. And in August, longtime CEO Michael Morrow resigned. And in fact, we've been hearing that most people left Genesis right around that time. So what has happened? Recently, Genesis halted withdrawals. Uh, They had a liquidity crisis due to the FTX and 3AC situation. The parent company, DCG, initially said that they needed $1 billion by this week or they'd be filing for bankruptcy. So it looks like the hole was still there. A recent report, however, suggested that they're now only looking for a half a billion dollars, so $500 million. They reported to Al Jazeera earlier this week that, quote, they have no plans to file bankruptcy imminently, and quote, our goal is to resolve the current situation consensually without the need for any bankruptcy filing, Genesis continues to have constructive conversations with creditors. And quite, quote. quite the, quite the non-committal uh, yeah. quote. I would say there. You know, of course, the goal is to resolve the situation where you don't go broke and bust. Like, no, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It just seems to be so many conflicting kind of pieces. I saw one kind of quote. I'm trying to remember now from one of the team at DCG, and it was like <clears throat> basically saying that. You know, they never said they needed one billion by one week, and it was a load of nonsense. It's like I'm pretty sure this has been like every single headline, and you've you've not made any <laughs> statement otherwise until now. So yeah, very uh, very bizarre. <clears throat> yeah. So again, why is everybody worried about this? Well, FTX. If you look at the the FTX contagion situation, they hurt liquid funds and consumers. Genesis impacts nearly every company in crypto. Dozens of companies like Gemini use Genesis to help their consumers earn yield. So if you're a CeFi platform that offers yield, you probably use Genesis. Uh, Beyond that, a lot of whales give their money direct to Genesis to earn yield. So what we're looking at here is institutions, family offices, and whales alike are all at risk of not getting their crypto back. And it goes deeper than that because another DCG subsidiary, Grayscale, is holding roughly 630,000 Bitcoin. That What's is the situation of, there, Matt? Yeah, that's, that's a, a mess. lot of Bitcoin. There's a lot yeah. of Bitcoin and it gets real messy, right? So you may, you may be hearing a lot about Grayscale of late. You probably didn't hear much about Grayscale since last April. And <clears throat> here's kind of the situation. So Gray, Grayscale, subsidiary of Digital Cur- Currency Group, um, they are the they manage the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, um, and most recently this week, just a couple of days ago, was trading at a forty five percent discount to NAV net asset value earlier this week. Now, if what I've just said makes absolutely no sense to you, don't worry. I'm going to give you a quick primer. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, often referred to as GBTC, it's kind of a traditional like investment vehicle. It's similar to an ETF, but not an ETF. Very, that's very important. Um, that's physically backed with Bitcoin. So it's a way for individuals, la- like mainly either at minimum 
high net worth individuals or more so like we we're talking about with with genesis like institutions i think like the minimum investment is like 50k so you know wipes out most like retail um that, that would go for this um <clears throat> but what what the important piece here is it's a way for investors to get exposure to bitcoin without having to hold any in custody that this is particularly important for institutional investors and that's either because they don't want to or they simply can't hold bitcoin for a whole host of compliance reasons there's so many companies uh, and investors funds that literally cannot for compliance reasons hold bitcoin so what the grayscale bitcoin trust is and it's worth mentioning that grayscale have a ton of um <clears throat> these kind of uh kind of like pseudo etfs that they have for like i mean Ethereum is like the other really big one, but they have everything from like a basic attention token, et cetera, et cetera, through to giving you some exposure to these crypto assets without holding them. It is the world's largest publicly traded crypto fund, the the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I think the AUM is around about $10 million, uh, $10 billion, sorry, $10 million. That would not be the biggest. Um, <clears throat> but the goal, and the goal always has been, it launched in, Ooh, I think 2015, I might be slightly off on that, but I think it was 2015. The goal was to kind of convert GBTC into a spot ETF. So there are other Bitcoin ETFs out there, but they are futures ETFs. So they don't track the price of the spot price of Bitcoin. I actually can't remember the names of those uh, other Bitcoin ETFs, but I think there's like two or three others, but there is not a spot ETF. Um, certainly not that's available for US investors. In fact, I actually can't even buy shares in the UK on uh, GBTC in its current state right now because the UK government has pretty much wiped out the ability to invest in in crypto funds. Um, eh, maybe they have a point. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but they've, uh, you know, one of the most important things and the thing that's plagued Grayscale so far is that they have had consistent setbacks with the SEC on getting approval for this spot ETF, which they would convert the um, the, the Bitcoin trust, which is a technically a trust, into um, a spot ETF. Most recently, in April of this year, I think many people thought that this was going to be the moment when um, the, the GBTC was finally approved to turn into a spot ETF, and they yet again failed to convince the SEC to, to make this happen. And so why are we talking about this? Well, as a result of all of the uncertainty around the fund, first of all, being able to ever convert into an ETF, and on top of this, Digital Currency Group, DCG, being the parent company of Grayscale Investments, the managers of GBTC, the gap between the price of shares in the fund and the net asset value of the underlying Bitcoin is widening at a pretty significant rate. So what does this mean? So shares in GBTC, they're ultimately supposed to, in an ideal setting, present a one-to-one -one value against BTC. If anything, maybe sometimes a slight premium on BTC price because they charge a giant 2% uh, management fee. I'll come on to that in just a second. Um, but right now, you can actually buy shares of GBTC at 43% lower than the price of Bitcoin. So if you 
if you feel confident that GBTC is going to either be able to turn into a spot ETF or is going to have some form of like redemption one-to-one for, for Bitcoin in the future, you could view that as, wow, I get to buy Bitcoin at 43% discount. It's worth mentioning that is not there is no certainty around that right now and ultimately this is why we see this discount it reflects the confidence in the long-term prospects of gbtc now if you compare this to december 2020 it was trading at a 40 percent premium to btc so you can kind of see how investors are pricing in risk like and when i say 40 percent premium i mean shares in GBTC were 40% more expensive than the spot price of actual Bitcoin. And it's the the complete polar opposite now. It actually hit 45% uh, discount recently, which I think is the lowest, it's the, the, the greatest the discount's ever been. The significance of Digital Currency Group in all of this <clears throat> is, as you mentioned, Austin, they're also the owners of Genesis. And many fear that to plug this this hole of, say, $1 million in, uh, or $500 million, whatever it is that Genesis needs, well, maybe Digital Currency Group will sell some of their most liquid holdings. And arguably, their most liquid holdings right now are GBTC shares. And this would obviously really hurt the price of GBTC if there was a big sell-off. It would further widen the discount. As a as a point of reference here, DCG they they were buying up more GPTC shares all through last year. In particular, in October, they they bought back two hundred and fifty million dollars worth at the time, uh, taking their total holdings to around about one billion dollars worth of GBTC shares. So they are the largest GBTC shareholder as well. Now. With the likelihood of an ETF being approved looking less and less likely, especially, I mean, if we think about the FTX yeah. fiasco, you know, you, you, it's, it's tough to see, Austin, isn't it, with, the, the, um, with, with everything that's happened that the SEC are just going to kind of turn around and be like, do you know what, guys, let's, <laughs> let's, let's approve this, this product that we've been kind of pushing for a long time. Um, well, there's, there's been a lot of interesting uh, potential solutions. Uh, I think Ryan Selkis from uh, one of the founders of Masari, or the founder of Masari, should I say, um, was discussing on Twitter some interesting potential ways in which Grayscale could potentially be able to utilize uh, the SEC's like Regulation M for redemptions. So what would happen here is the SEC would need to approve the RegM redemptions. And if they did this, what it would mean is that GBTC shareholders would actually be able to redeem their shares one for one for the underlying assets. So if you own a GBTC share, you can redeem that for a um, a single Bitcoin. That means if there's a 40% discount on net asset value as it stands today, you'd get $1 of Bitcoin for every 60 cents of GPTC shares that you hold. That'd be pretty good. It's worth mentioning, though, there's no sign that Grayscale has approached the SEC for Reg M um, redemption approval. Now, I think like it's, it's worth kind of calling out here and explaining that 
the Grayscale's um, Bitcoin Investment Trust is an enormous cash cow for them. They charge a 2% management fee. More importantly, and I think this is a key piece, they charge a 2% management fee on the uh, the price of the underlying assets that you own. So you're paying a 2% management fee on the price of actual spot Bitcoin, not on the price of your GBTC shares, which is a huge amount. It brings in like 200, $250 million every month, for, uh, every month, every year for them. So this is an enormous cash cow for them. And actually, if they started redeeming a load of these, these shares, that just reduces and eats away at the management fee. So I think a related part of this narrative, and Nick Carter uh, pushed out kind of a tweet that was kind of saying, well, to kind of reduce this this gap between the net asset value and the, the shares, Grayscale could just simply announce a date in the future that redemptions would take place. And the result would be that the kind of share to net asset value discount would immediately close because investors would have some kind of like finality, some guarantee that they'd be able to redeem one-to-one in the future. I imagine that'd be the case. You'd maybe have some still like a few percent uh, of discount to premium, things like that. But that that's one potential solution they could get to. And of course, that would dramatically increase the value of the shares, which means that Grayscale could probably sell shares and then plug uh, this this uh, funding gap in Genesis a lot easier. The counter argument to this comes back to the fact that many GPT sh- uh, GBTC shareholders they can't actually hold underlying the underlying Bitcoin for compliance reasons. It's one of the primary reasons they gained Bitcoin exposure via the GBTC fund versus just directly purchasing Bitcoin itself and. I think that's a really important piece. So if you're saying in the future to an institution that's invested huge amounts of funds into the Grayscale uh, Bitcoin Investment Trust that that for compliance reasons can't hold Bitcoin, hey, don't worry, in the future, uh, in 24 months time, you're going to be able to, uh, and you're going to redeem all of these shares for Bitcoins. That's a problem for them. So there's, there's one piece of friction. The other argument, which actually just takes on if I just, this will take on like a number of market assumptions, right? But is that if that discount to net asset value closed, I think it's fair to say there would potentially be a huge sell-off. Um, and as a result, Grayscale would lose a load of their juicy kind of 2% management fees the GBTC holders paid them. It's a highly profitable fund, as I mentioned. And actually closing the gap to, to net asset value is probably not worth it uh, f- versus just keeping those management fees going because you're kind of locked in at this point. If you bought either at a premium or, well, I mean, I don't think there's a single time where you've bought GBTC where you're not now operating uh, out of the money, right? You're in the red at this point. So you're going to, if you want to sell, you have to sell at a loss. And so I think there's like this this consistent like, what we're talking about in all of this discussion, we've got Genesis that has this imminent threat, which also would really impact digital currency group. You've got this other piece of the puzzle, which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which either is going to start seeing like more sell pressure or Grayscale can potentially jump in and start liquidating some assets or more so, should I say, digital currency group. We've got this FTX hacker that is dumping funds on the market. 
it's tough, Austin, to to see where in the short term, at least, there is potential for a reversal in in market yeah. trends. No, it doesn't feel like we've hit the bottom yet, if I were no. to guess. <laughs> I I agree. And I mean, as someone that has never correctly predicted either the top or the bottom, <laughs> take take from that what you what you wish. But it, I, I don't think we've sat on a situation like, um, so I think you've got Genesis, uh, you've got Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And actually, th- th- this is just my personal opinion. I, if I if someone kind of said to me, like, gun to the head, a Genesis is going to go bankrupt, I actually don't think they will. Um, I, I think that they're, and I also don't think the digital currency group are going to um, engage in a big sell-off of the um, GBTC either. Um, I think that Genesis are probably going to have to kind of come to some level of agreement with their creditors, which is going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But I think they can manage to keep this alive. I, I hope that's the case. I do feel so much more of an imminent threat with this kind of 200,000 ETH hanging over mm-hmm. the market's head right now. And yeah, it kind of feels like, you know, we want to kind of tear that Band-Aid off if it's going to come off um, and just kind of get that over and done with over a, over a period of time. My hope is that these these cells are not too large at a time, but I, from what I'm looking at, it seems like this, this seller is going to start selling in chunks of 25,000 ETH. So if that's the case, no question about it, ETH price will go lower. Now we just can't predict what, what is going to actually happen. And it's like you mentioned earlier, I was trying to figure out what is the, what is the game plan here? We don't know who it is. We don't know the motives. So it's tough to tough to really say what the play is going to be here. Yeah, and of course, all of that plays into sentiment. I mean, we're not just talking about 200,000 ETH. We're also talking about the sentiment of other ETH holders, especially folks who have large holdings that they were maybe, you know, l- looking to get shorter than <laughs> five to 10 year uh, returns on investment from Um, This is going to put downward pressure on the market from people that are looking to de-risk as well that have nothing to do with this wallet, but their sentiment has shifted as a result of the sell-offs that either are happening or could potentially happen in the future from this wallet. So again, you know, facing the contagion problem. Yeah. The the only other thing that kind of comes to my mind, and I I don't think we're going to see the effects of this well i don't believe we're going to see the effects of this too aggressively versus when we're in like a bull but we're also kind of coming up to u.s tax season and if you didn't already have enough losses (laughs) that you filed um i I mean the tax loss harvesting is still going to probably happen we nearly always see sell-offs around tax uh period whether that's just to cover for taxes whether it's to register some losses it does feel a little bit like a perfect storm in in all of this and um when you look at kind of like how many of those bitcoin wallets are out of the money right now it, it it raises it just feels like there's a there's a lot of potential for a rush to the exit to happen and i'll say in all of this this doesn't make me worried about the long term actually um but in the short term so when i go into twitter and i see like okay like i think yesterday we saw 
uh, maybe ETH up like three or 4% and people are like, yeah, we've seen the bottom. And I just think to myself, like, everyone needs to relax here. Like, it's so much more likely that it is going to go down versus going up in the short term. And while I am certainly not someone that can predict the the markets uh, to, to a T here, I think if I was a betting man, you know, the, the probability is much more towards a downward spiral versus an upward with, with a lot of the macro events that can happen and also the kind of, as you mentioned, sentiment that's happening. But we're going to have to keep a close yeah. eye on this. We're going to have to keep a close yeah. eye on it. And I'm sure we're going to be reporting on this over the the coming weeks, I have a feeling that those uh, Thanksgiving discussions of last year, <laughs> where uh, you know the, the conversation oh, was basically Grandma asking about uh, how to buy Bitcoin. I don't know if they they're going to be the same this year. What do you think, Austin? Might be a bit of a different tone. Think about this, Matt. You were talking about U.S. tax season. I was in a Twitter Spaces event with a guy that had two-thirds of his crypto tied up in FTX. He lost it. And he believes that with that remaining one-third of his crypto, of which he's accumulated the majority of over the course of the past year, he is going to need to pay his taxes. So uh, you've got somebody getting fleeced by FTX, then getting fleeced by the IRS. And by the way, people aren't talking about this very much, but SBF, He's an American. He spent time lobbying U.S. politicians. He had American employees. He had U.S. investors. He owned U.S. subsidiaries. He marketed in the U.S. He spent a lot of time on U.S. soil. He had hundreds of thousands of clients that were in the U.S. Uh, This is not something that the the U.S. uh, regulatory system and certainly the U.S. criminal justice system can wash its hands of responsibility and implication. And so you just imagine that person that lost their their two-thirds of their holdings to FTX or FTX US, thinking that it was safe there uh, because of its position in the market and because of what they thought you know, it, it was regulated to be. Of course, FTX claimed to be regulated and controlled. And then the IRS is going to come knocking for that remaining third. Woo, that is a tough Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's a real tough one. That's uh, There's some salt for the turkey, at least, I imagine. <laughs> That, uh, you know, uh, that that's going to hurt. Uh, well, I wish that individual at least a nice dinner. Uh, at, at least <laughs> they're going to need it. Might be, might be, might feel a bit like a death row dinner at that point. But uh, yeah. Anyway, we've, we've talked on, we've dug in, we've given everyone significant amounts to be uh, really down about on this wonderful time of the year. So Austin, I hope you have a wonderful Turkey Day. I'll be celebrating your freedom from the uh, on, on the other side of the pond as the oppressor, at least. And uh, I'll, I'll have a turkey leg uh, thinking of you. Um, but yeah, <laughs> much <I'll>, appreciated, uh, <laughs> Matt. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing about this awkward Thanksgiving uh, discussions at the dinner table next week. And I'll see you then. Yes, more updates to come. Talk to you then. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment 
cryptocurrency or otherwise.